Good morning. Well, it's always wonderful to stand up here. It's a very humbling experience for me, and this morning is no different than any other time that I've preached. I'm extremely humbled and extremely grateful to have this moment with you. Our God truly does exist. So before we get too deep into this, I would just like to bring up a picture up on the screen here. It's my first time having a picture up here. I feel like Steve. <laughs> um, but this is a picture that maybe some of you have seen throughout the week. I'm not sure how many football fans that we have here uh, this morning. And I'm not sure how many of you were able to watch uh, the last, last week's, last Monday night football game. But this is a picture that was taken uh, during the football game last week um, on Monday. I got home from work. I did what I normally do on Monday nights, which is come home, eat dinner, say hi to my beautiful wife, and, and turn on some football. And um, that night, this, this, this picture and this incident was something that I, I've never seen before. And, and what we're looking at right here is we're looking at the Buffalo Bills team all gathered together, uh, huddled together on one knee in prayer. See, what had happened was the, the game was the Cincinnati Bengals versus uh, the Buffalo Bills. And in the first quarter, there was a play that uh, the quarterback threw the ball to T. Higgins, who was a receiver. T. Higgins caught the ball, started catching it, and started making some yards with the play. Well, the opposing team on the Buffalo Bills side, DeMar uh, Hamlin, was a safety, and he did his job. He did what he was trained to do. He quickly saw that Higgins made the catch, and was gaining yards. So Hamlin quickly pursued. He caught up to Higgins, wrapped his arms around him, took the shot, and made the tackle. It didn't look too brutal, and I was just sitting there watching, thinking, okay, that was a good tackle. But the tackle changed everything. See, right before the collision happened, Higgins dropped his shoulder in anticipation that this tackle was going to happen by Hamlin. So he dropped his shoulder, drove it right into Hamlin's chest. Hamlin took the shot, wrapped his arms around him, and went down. Again, it didn't look too brutal, but it was enough to change the game, and it was enough to change my, my night. See, in that collision, what had happened was that uh, DeMar Hamlin went into cardiac arrest. After that tackle, Hamlin stood up, fixed his helmet, took two steps, and then passed out onto the ground. His heart had stopped. And I watched this. And I was kind of concerned a little bit. Players around saw that Hamlin was down and wasn't getting up. And quickly, you could see some of the players signal over to the coaches, come on, come on, we need you over here. So quickly, the medical staff and the coaching staff went out there to try to help DeMar Hamlin. Well, as I sat and watched, commercial break happened. Commercial break came back to the game, and the players were still surrounding them. There is more players now, both sides, Cincinnati side and the, and the Buffalo Bills side, surrounding DeMar. In fact, you couldn't even see DeMar. All you could see were people surrounding him. But what had happened, like I said, was that he went into cardiac arrest. His heart had stopped. And so CPR was administered for him. In fact, for nine minutes, CPR was given to him to try to get his heart right, to get his heartbeat to, to start over again. And in that time of nine minutes, I just could just watch, you know, these players as they walked around trying to assess what was going on here because no one had seen anything like this before. Yeah, there's injuries that happen in football. It's a brutal game. It's, it's a contact sport, but nothing like this. There was never a need for anyone and any medical staff to come out to the field and, and do CPR, hard CPR, which is difficult, by the way, especially for nine minutes to try to pound on the chest to try to get that heart to beat again. 
And in that nine minutes, commercial break happened. Commercial break came back. We're back on the scene. Now we're going to go back to commercial. And we just sat there. I sat there with my wife, and we were watching, just in concern, wondering what was going to go on. What was going to happen to Damar? And again, in that nine minutes, the players were assessing the situation. Certain players were in tears. Certain players were walking around just crying. Certain players were down on their knees, just worried and concerned about Damar. And certain players just had this blank look on their face. Just an unbelievable look. I remember the coach and the refs going to talk to him. And my wife and I looked at each other and we said, he's not even listening to the ref. He's not even with it right now. He is just so in thought and concerned for Damar. Everyone was. An ambulance stunned, then came, drove onto the field, which again is something that I've never seen before, and it just only added to the seriousness of the situation. This was serious stuff happening here. This was something that I've never seen before in all my years of watching football. Even the commentators have never seen anything like this. This is one snap that changed the game for sure. So with the uncertainty of what was going to happen to DeMar, the Buffalo Bills team got together. In their time of distress, in their time of trouble, they got together and they dropped down to their knee and you can see all of them praying. This is a very powerful picture here. All of them dropped to their knee to pray to the Lord and Savior because they were uncertain and they were troubled and in distress. You know, it kind of reminds me of Jonah 1. In Jonah 1, the mariners also prayed in their time of distress. They were uncertain. They were getting slammed by the water, right? And they had to just stop and surrender and pray to God in their time of distress, just like this Buffalo Bill team right here. In their time of distress, they are praying to the God because they didn't know what was going on. Well, Jonah too also prays in his time of distress to the Lord. See, Jonah was at a point in his life where he was in serious trouble. And he had to pray hard and earnestly, just like these players out here, just like the coaching staff that we are looking at right now. They are praying hard and earnestly with their whole heart right now. And that's something that Jonah had to do. Now, I don't know if these players come together every Sunday or Monday before the game to pray. I don't know if they meet together maybe halfway through the week to pray with their whole heart like this. But in this particular moment, in their time of distress you can see that they are gathered together and they're unified for one cause, to pray for the concern of their their teammates. Now, Jonah does the same thing too. Jonah had many opportunities to pray to God before the troubles hit, but he didn't. And in his time of great distress, he finally does sit and pray. And my question to us today, this morning, is are we going to do the same? Do we need to have distress and trouble in our lives before we come together, before we open our hearts out and pour it out with sincere, affectionate compassion to our Lord and Savior? Is it going to take a lot of distress in our lives before we get down on our knees and pray like this? I'm going to ask you this morning, where's your heart? Where's your heart for prayer this morning? Where is your heart for prayer every single morning that you wake up? Do we pray consistently and persistently before the troubles hit? Or do we really have to sink deep and and, and suffer 
before we surrender and we pray with our whole heart to the Lord? That's the number one question I have for us this morning. And that's a choice that we're going to have to make. Are we constant in prayer? Or do we only pray when we're in trouble? See, this morning we're going to continue on in our study through the book of Jonah. And we're going to see that after suffering much trouble, Jonah finally submits to God and he prays. He prays to the God that he was running away from. Remember Jonah 1? God comes and commissions him. Jonah decides to run away. Jonah was stubborn. Jonah was reluctant. And we as Christians can be stubborn too. We as Christians can be very reluctant as well. And we're not much different from Jonah. In fact, many of us, including myself, have much Jonah-like qualities in us. I hate to say this, but it's true. We're stubborn, we're disobedient, and sometimes we don't listen to the call of God. So hopefully after this morning, we'll make the decision to develop more of a heart of prayer. Meaning that we're going to come to God, not just in times of trouble and suffering. We should be proactive in our prayer life with our Savior before the trouble hits. Something that Jonah didn't do. So let's recap for a moment here Jonah 1 before we get into Jonah 2. Just to kind of refresh our memories. Just to kind of get back into the rhythm of Jonah. See, if we remember, Jonah was an Old Testament prophet. And he was commissioned by God to go and preach against the great nation of Nineveh. The wickedness of that great city had come up to God. And God said, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to the nation of Nineveh. But again, like I said, Jonah, being a reluctant, disobedient servant, fled the scene instead of listening to God. Now, I compared God to the great MD-500 helicopter, the great tactical air unit in the sky. Remember that? And then I can said that Jonah was the fleeing criminal. So we studied how Jonah tried to escape the presence of the Lord by getting on a ship, and he headed to Tarshish. And he brought nothing but, but chaos and mayhem and confusion to both himself and to others that are on the boat. But the Lord in his persistent pursuit, the great MD-500, followed Jonah. And he created miracles to grab the intention of Jonah. In all that chaos, in everything that Jonah did in Jonah 1, he never prays. Not one time. Does he pray? He runs. He acts in his own will. But he never prays. In the Lord's reaching for Jonah, we saw the Lord's patience and the Lord's mercy. We saw that the Lord was reluctant to let his people perish, which hopefully should encourage us to know that God just doesn't sit back. Instead, he's a loving and persistent God whose mercy is sovereign. And we finished the chapter uh, with Jonah sinking deeper and deeper into the ocean because he was thrown into the ocean by the mariners. And, and Jonah here is just sinking to the bottom. And this is where God appoints a great fish to come and swallow Jonah up. And it saves him from drowning. Now Jonah was stubborn, like I said. Jonah was troubled. In his heart, he was troubled. He didn't want to go where, where he was told to go. He didn't like the people that he was asked to preach to and to speak to. And Jonah didn't want to submit to the, into the presence of the Lord. He didn't want to. Instead of praying for troubled, his troubled emotions, we read that Jonah fled. See, Jonah was troubled. He didn't pray. And now he's in trouble. 
So the end of verse 17, again, like I said, it says that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah up. And God appointing this fish to swallow Jonah up is mercy. It's mercy on his rebellious, stubborn servant. God didn't have to save Jonah. God could have easily allowed Jonah to drown and send somebody else out to Nineveh to preach. But God wasn't done using Jonah. He wasn't done yet. And God appoints this great fish to swallow him up. And there he'll sit. There Jonah will sit for three days, three nights in this dark, stinky stomach alone. But why? Why does God do this? I think it's because it's the length that it took for Jonah's heart to change. That is the length it took for his heart to surrender. Now, this is where some non-believers will sit there and go, yeah, right, yeah, you're telling me that this great giant fish came and swallowed this man up and that he lived inside this fish for three days and three nights? You're crazy. No way. And I don't want to focus on this point too much, but as we get into this, I just want to give you two rebuttals. Just two rebuttals in case you're out there and you're talking and you say, wow, I just heard this awesome sermon about Jonah and blah, blah, blah. And, well, how can this happen? Well, I'll just say this. First rebuttal comes from John MacArthur. John MacArthur sits there and says that if God can sustain a human baby inside the belly of a mother for nine months, then God can sustain Jonah in the stomach for three days. And the question isn't how did God or how did Jonah survive in the belly for three days. The kind of question is, is how did that whale survive with Jonah inside its belly for three days? Jonah is this stinky, rotten prophet. And uh, how did the whale or how did the fish survive? Uh, the second one comes from what we read this morning, from Matthew 12:40. It comes from, from our own personal Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus even speaks of this moment. Jesus says that just as Jonah was for three days and three nights in the belly of this great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See, we who believe in Jesus Christ, that he was killed and died on the cross and was buried in the earth for three days and three nights, and he comes out and is resurrected, we believe in that. That's the gospel that we believe in. And if our Savior Jesus sits there and says that this happened to Jonah, then this happened to Jonah. That's enough for me. If Jesus says it, it's enough for me. Now, this was troubling for Jonah, and we're going to encounter troubles in our life. Now, I don't think our troubles are going to come at us in the form that we're going to get swallowed up by a great fish. I don't really think that that's a trouble that we're going to have. But I do believe that the trouble that we can have that can come swallow us up is maybe financial trouble. Maybe we run into financial burdens in our life and that swallows us up. Maybe marital problems happen. Maybe family problems happen. It just comes and swallows us up. For you kids out there, Maybe you have school problems. Maybe you have best friend issues. Maybe you have just issues that come to get us. We all have something that will come and try to swallow us up. But the point is today that I want us to be a congregation and a people of prayer. That's the bottom line. Is I want us to be more mindful about prayer. And that we shouldn't pray just because we have troubles. We should be praying before the troubles hit us. Today's message is entitled, A Heart of Prayer. 
Because that's what I want us to develop. And that's what I want to use Jonah 2 as. Because Jonah 2 is a chapter about prayer. And we're going to be looking at two points. The first point is going to come from verses 1 through 6, which is called troubled prayers. And the second point is going to be humbled prayers, which is going to come from verses 7 through 10. So before we get into Jonah 2, let's just quickly pray for clarity and for wisdom, and then we're going to dive into Jonah 2. So Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we are grateful and thankful for this, for this moment to come before you in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would prick our hearts, Father, that uh, we would be opened and honest with ourselves as Christians and look truly into our prayer life, Father. And if there's a pricking that we need to increase our prayer life, Father, I pray that we would move in that direction. Thank you for this time to have this moment to speak about this topic. I pray, Lord, that you would work through me, give me clarity um, and insight to, to pass upon your words, Lord. We honor you, we love you, and it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So, Jonah is, is in this fish. He's been in this fish for three days. In fact, it, it's, it's three hard days and three hard nights already in this fish. But before he's in this fish, Jonah has a lot of hardships. There's a lot of stuff going on. And this prayer is a window into the hardship he, that he suffered. So he's sitting in there. And it says, and then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regards to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And God... And then the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up upon dry land. And that's the prayer. That's the prayer Jonah prayed. And if we look at the first point here, troubled prayers, we're going to see that throughout all the trouble, Jonah finally submits and prays to the Lord. An act that Jonah could have done at any point in chapter 1. In fact, if you look at Jonah 1.3, flip over to Jonah 1.3. It's just like the next page. It says right there that Jonah rose and he fled. He was commissioned. He was troubled. He didn't like what he was asked to do. That was a perfect place for him to pray. But he didn't. He ran away instead. He ran away with his conflicted feelings. And he ignored the sovereign God. Rather than praying to the God about his troubled feelings, Jonah runs. And he puts himself in deeper trouble. 
He's in more trouble because instead of submitting and praying, he goes on his own accord and he runs. And he's in trouble. And in Jonah's prayer here, there's a lot of references to Psalms. There's a lot of different references that he makes to Psalms, which makes me believe that Jonah really truly did know the Bible. Like I said, in Jonah 1, he was a theologian. He knew scripture. And here Jonah is referring to the Psalms in his prayer. In fact, we come across one right here in the first one. Uh, It says, and then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Well, if we don't go to Psalms 120, I'll just tell you, but in Psalms 121, it says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. See, it's very similar right there. Psalms 18.6 says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. Again, there's that correlation of, of distress and trouble and crying out. And that's what Jonah was doing here. We hear the similarities to what Jonah is saying in his prayer and what the psalmists are saying. And Jonah, in his time and in his distress, he prays and he reaches out and prays, just like the Buffalo Bills team did. They prayed as well. Now, just imagine for a moment, we're in this belly of this fish for three days and three nights. Imagine what that's like. There's no water. There's no light. And that's another thing. Jonah had to know his scriptures in his heart and his mind because he didn't have a Bible on him and he didn't have a flashlight to sit there and read. He knew it. It was in him. But there was no light. Um, It probably really smelled in there. Probably really bad. There's no food, it's rocking, it's damp, it's just a horrible, distressing situation. And in fact, if I was in that situation for three days and three nights, I wouldn't survive. Because I'll tell you right now, if I don't eat in three hours, I get hangry. So for me to go three days and three nights without eating, oh dear Lord, (laughs) I wouldn't survive, wouldn't survive. But here he is, in his distress, in his lows, Jonah sits. Now, we all have lows in our lives. We all sometimes feel like Jonah, where we're in the pit, right? We felt the lows. Our lives are riddled with nothing but trials and tribulations sometimes. And we have our ups and we have our downs. And sometimes our downs feel really far down. And like Jonah, maybe we too feel like we are in the pit of Sheol. But how do we handle it? When we're in our lows and we're in our most distressful times in our lives, how do we handle it? And if you're sitting there right now and you are in distress and you are going through some problems right now in your life, how are you handling it? See, we as believers have a choice. We have to make a choice. Are we going to be intimate with our Father in prayer? Or are we not? Are we going to run away? See, we have to be open and we have to be honest with Him. We just can't go about our life carrying on and putting on that same mask. That mask that we put on that we think fools people. I'm hurting inside here. I've got pain in my heart here. But I'll put on this mask so I can fool people into thinking that I'm okay. 
But really deep down inside, you're not okay. It doesn't fool anybody. And it won't fool God. Sometimes we get tormented by our negative feelings, our negative thoughts in our heads. But only God can give us the peace to be able to break through those barriers of negativity. Only God can do that. Shatter the mask. Pray to God. See, prayer is a powerful tool that the Lord gives us, but seldom we use it. We are soldiers for Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be afraid to pick up our weapon and fight. Don't be afraid to pray. We are soldiers. Pray to Him. Be near to Him. It's the only thing that can help when we feel like we are in the pit. When we feel like we're alone, pray. When we feel like we're failing, pray. When you feel like you just don't belong, pray. When you don't have direction, pray. Through the trials and struggles of life, pray. When we're tired and everything just seems like nothing's working, like the life is just rocking us back and forth, like we're just being slammed by emotions and problems, pray. In everything, pray. Psalm 62.8 says that we must trust Him at all times. That we must pour our hearts out before Him as He is a refuge for us. The Lord is our refuge, not the mask. The Lord is our refuge. We must trust Him. We must pour ourselves out to Him. That means we have to be humble with Him. We have to be humble in our hearts have to be humble before the sight of the Lord so that he can elevate us and pick us up. So when Jonah finally does humble himself and he prays, we see not only some references to Psalms, but we hear words of authority in the circumstances that happened to Jonah. For example, in verse 1 he says, and then, jo- and then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. It doesn't say the Lord prayed to God. It said the Lord prayed to His God. It's His God. It makes it personal. It's His God. It's not just God. And it's your God. It's my God. It's our God. It's personal. In verse 3, it says, You cast me into the deep. You cast me. See, Jonah recognizes that it wasn't the mariners that ended up picking up Jonah and throwing him in the ocean. That came from uh, chapter 1, verse 15. It wasn't the mariners. Jonah was acknowledging the fact that God was sovereign over the circumstances that took place and that it was God that threw him in the ocean while he was trying to make the escape. And this is much like the story of Joseph and his brothers. See, Joseph and Genesis and his brothers, they didn't want Joseph. They hated Joseph. So what they do? They sold him into slavery, get rid of Joseph, see you later, Joseph, uh, have a good life. But Joseph's had to suffer. When he got sold to Egypt, he, he suffered much. But in the end, God helps Joseph um, becoming, uh, going from a prisoner to becoming second in charge of Egypt here. Later in the story, Joseph is reunited with his brothers that had banished him, and they begged him for forgiveness. Joseph, please. And Joseph says, do not fear. I'm I'm in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil for me. But God, there's those two words again, but God. 
meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be alive as they are today. See, the, the brothers physically sold Joseph into slavery, just like the mariners physically threw Jonah in, but God was behind the whole thing. The physical acts done by the Joseph's brothers and the physical acts done by the mariners on the ships were just the means to carry out God's plan to save people. God helped Joseph save his family, and thus an entire nation of Israel was born, and God acted uh, in Jonah's life to save uh, many lives in Nineveh. Jonah is humbled here, and he recognizes that God's hand is on the matters. It wasn't the mariners at all that threw Jonah in the ocean. It was God. Come to another one. It says, all your waves and your billows passed over me. See, Jonah here acknowledges that the waves and billows belong to God. These are not just random elements that Jonah is caught up in here, but elements that God has created and has authority over. See, Jonah knew that he was caught up in God's waters and that the Lord was commanding them. It's God's billows and it's God's waves that are slamming into him and bringing him down. I mean, Joseph, Jonah is really in trouble here. Jonah is in trouble. He's getting slammed. He's being pulled under. Like, imagine this. Imagine how terrifying this would be and how disorientating and suffocating this would be. You're in the water and the water comes and slams on you and you get pulled down and you get up and you try to take a breath and another wave just comes and smashes you and you're just getting slammed and slammed and slammed. I mean, how long do you think that we could stand afloat in that kind of environment? How long could we survive in that? In our own self, in our own strength. Being pulled under, dragged this way, catching your breath, trying to, trying to fight for life. See, we may feel in our lives that we too are being crashed upon by wave after wave after waves of issues. They slam into us, causing us sometimes to feel like we too are being disoriented. Sometimes we may feel deep in our issues, and it may make us feel like we're drowning. Now, just to get a little personal here, recently I had an issue that made me feel like I was drowning. About a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, I was fired from my job, a job that I had worked for uh, for 14 years. I was laid off. They said, uh, (laughs) I won't go into what they said. But in that time of losing my job, I was drowning in emotions. No longer could I do the thing that I love to do. No longer could I look at children and impact their lives the way, that I, the way that I was called to do. I was drowning in the fact. I was sinking in phone calls, sinking in text messages from parents who were just uncertain and confused and troubled. Well, what do we do now, Jake? What should we do now? I don't know. i got to figure that out myself. I don't know. I was sinking in that. I was sinking in a heartache that I no longer could go and see the children who I've spent more than 25 hours a week with. I see these kids more than the parents see these kids. I help these children. And now they're scattering, not knowing where to go. And I'm losing them. I was drowning in this emotion. This was my distress. Maybe you felt something like this too. 
Maybe there was something in your life that caused you to feel like you too were sinking and drowning in heartache and in trouble. I know in Psalms 42, David says, all your breakers and your waves have come over me. See, David felt it too. And where you and I and David have, have all metaphorically have felt this feeling, Jonah was getting a taste of the real deal. Jonah was getting slammed. Jonah was getting pulled down. Jonah was feeling disoriented. He was getting the physical thing. I was just getting the emotional. But I just constantly just want to emerge, just urge you that when our hearts are overwhelmed, when we feel like we are disoriented, we got to trust that our God is the higher rock and He is the shelter for us. That the Lord has compassion and the Lord cares for us. Which one of us sitting here right now, if we saw a wounded child, if we left church and we went home and we saw a child and they were crying and they were in distress and they looked hurt and they were looked just distraught, how many of us would just drive by and say, oh, look at that. Oh, that's nice. Okay, let's go. No. None of us would. We would have concern and love and compassion for that child. And if we, as sinners in our flesh, can have such great compassion for that hurt child, think of our God and how much compassion He has for us. (laughs) Never thought of it right now, but it makes me think, did you look at me, Father, and have compassion when I was hurting for and crying about my kids? Yes, He did. He has compassion for us and He'll care for you. See, the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting, everlasting to those who fear Him. We must constantly pray to our Lord. But Jonah doesn't pray. Jonah does not pray. Jonah has to go through so much trouble before he submits to God. Jonah had to pay the fare in Jonah 1. Remember? Jonah paid the fare, so now Jonah's going to pay the price. Well, here in Jonah 2, we get a glimpse of the troubling price that he has to pay. In verse 5, it says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. No matter where I look, if I go this way, it's just deep. If I look down, it's deep. If I look there, I'm surrounded. There's nowhere I can look where I'm not surrounded by this deep. Weeds were wrapped about his head. Imagine that, being underwater and just being choked and being pulled down by the weeds. He went down. He even sits there and says that his life was fainting away. I mean, this is intense stuff here. This is intense. If you don't think this doesn't sound distressing and troubling, I don't know. But this is definitely distressing. Now, I don't know if anyone here has ever had a near-drowning experience. But I can tell you that it's a scary, panic-ridden feeling. I remember one time I was about five or six years of age. I was in a swimming pool with my mom. She put me in the steps of the pool and said, There you go, Jacob. You can swim, but you are to stay on those steps. Well, (laughs) I had a very Jonah moment. A Jonah moment. I was told by my authority what to do, and I thought... I knew better. Same as Jonah. I thought, I'm going to go explore the pool over there and I'm not going to listen to my authority. I'm going to go. So what did I do? I stepped off the the, the step and I went down. I was under the water. 
I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't stand up. The water was here, but I'm down here and I'm moving my arms and I'm kicking my legs and I'm yelling, mom, mom. But all that came out was, you know, I'm yelling under the water. My mom didn't hear me. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh my Lord, what am I going to do? So there I am at the bottom of the pool and I just had the thought, okay, find your bearings, Jacob. Find your bearings. So I open my eyes and the water's burning my eyes because of the chlorine. And I look over and I could see the shiny pole by where the steps were. And I'm like, okay, there's the steps. So I'm going to bounce and tippy-toe under the water to just go because I couldn't swim. I didn't know how to swim. Lesson, don't put your child in the pool if they don't know how to swim. Okay? Um, and, and, and so I, I finally get there and I finally grab the pole, get myself up. <gasps> Just breathe in that air. Oh my gosh. I will listen to my mother. I'm going to stay on that step, you know. <laughs> but you got to understand that Jonah was not in a swimming pool. Jonah was, Jonah was not in a pool. Jonah was in the open ocean. There was no bottom for him to tippy-toe to try to find the pole to help get him up. He is in an ocean, and the ocean is pulling him down, ripping him down. He's got weeds wrapped around his head, and he goes so far down. There's no steps for him to get out of that ocean. He was going down. That's why he said that I went down, down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. I kind of felt like that a little bit as I was at the bottom of the pool. I was like, man, if I don't get out of here, I'm going to be trapped in here. I'm trapped under this water. It's going to be closed upon me forever if I don't get myself back to those steps. So Jonah is down. And Jonah suffers the horrors of drowning. And he also suffers the frightening thought of being driven away by God's sight. In verse 4, Jonah cries out, I am driven away from your sight. But see, isn't this what Jonah wanted in verse 1? Or not verse 1, but chapter 1? Isn't this what Jonah wanted? Jonah wanted to escape the sight of the Lord. That's why he went down to Joppa. That's why he got on a boat and went to the bottom of the boat to go to sleep. But did Jonah pray at any of those times? He didn't. Jonah didn't pray. I mean, he could have got the commission from God and felt troubled and say, you know what, I'm going to pray about this. That'd be a lesson for us. If we're troubled by something, we should pray about it, not run away with it. Jonah went down to Joppa. He had to make a choice. You know what, I'm going to go down to Joppa. Why? Because I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going to escape the presence of the Lord. Jonah didn't pray for direction. Let that be a lesson for us that we need to pray for direction. In my time off of work, I had to do a lot of praying for direction. What was best for my family? What was best for the children? What was best for the parents? I didn't have the luxury of just running away, jumping on a boat to escape the issues. I had to pray. See, Jonah wanted to to escape the presence of the Lord and to be out of the sight of the Lord. And rather than praying about the situation, Jonah runs and now he gets a real good taste of what it's like to be driven away. Jonah's disobedience from the Lord leads him to this very terrifying moment because he ran away. And I'm going to ask you, is anyone running away today? Is anyone trying to flee today? 
Or are we trying to be intimate with our Savior? Intimate. It's such a beautiful word. It's a closeness. You can't be intimate with someone unless you're close with them. Unless you know them inside and out. Unless you talk to them and you have this personal relationship with them. That's being intimate. It's more than being acquaintances. It's more than being a friend. It's being super close. Are we running from the Lord? Or are we trying to be close to Him? We need to be consistent and persistent in prayer with Him. Jonah was neither consistent nor persistent, but he was quick to run and he was quick to get himself into a tough situation. Good thing for Jonah, though, that he still holds on to faith and hope. We notice that Jonah says, Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. See, no matter how much we as people may screw up and no matter how bleak our situations may look, we can never lose hope. Hope is an anchor to our soul and we can't let it go. Our faith preserves us when we feel like we're in the belly of Sheol, just like Jonah. We must keep our thoughts and prayers on him because it's good. It's good to be near the Lord. Now, Jonah recognizes that his predicament here, and he knows that his life is fainting away. We see that in verse 7. And he knows that his outcome doesn't look good, and there's nothing that he can do to save himself. And as Jonah slowly faints away, he remembers the Lord. Now, fainting away. I'm just going to talk about this a little bit. This is something a little different, but... Fainting away. You know, when you black out, and that, 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 that talking about blacking out, it, it really does happen. It really is a thing. Blacking out and, and fainting away really is a thing. I, I fought MMA for, for a while, and I've had many, many chokes put on me, and, and many times people put me in there. And what happens is when the blood stops flowing to your brain, it really happens. What happens is you've got your peripheral peripheral and, and it just slowly this black ring starts happening and you can see it you can see that little blackness start coming and the more you get choked and the more that the, the less oxygen comes the closer and closer this blackness comes until you've got this little fine point of light and see as a fighter when you're in that moment that's where you need to keep your wits that's where you've got to sit there and really rely on your training because you only have this little pinpoint of light going on which means you can think clear it's clarity that little point right there is your clarity. All your clarity is gone. It's blacked out. It's been choked out of you. But this little point right here is your point of focus. And you've got to rely on that point and be smart about it. Otherwise, you're going to be tapping out. Well, Jonah here in his life was fainting. But he uses his training and he remembers, I'm going to pray to the Lord. He went to his training, I feel like. So he recognizes that it's God and only God that can save his life from the pit. And this is the last time that we're going to be speaking about the past. See, basically, one through six here is about the past. Jonah was talking about what happened to him in the past, right? He was thrown in the water. He was cast into the deep. The, the ocean was surrounding him. He was in the deep here. The weeds were wrapped around his head, and he was going down. He, he was praying about everything that happens in the past. These are God-driven incidences here, and they would be enough to humble anybody. If anyone were to suffer anything that Jonah went through, it would, it would humble us, and it humbled Jonah. 
where in chapter 1, Jonah refuses to submit and pray to the Lord. Jonah 2, here, he finally submits. And it's all about humility. And he submits to God's sovereignty. So as we move into point 2 here, point 2 is going to be verses 7 through 10. It's entitled, Humbled Prayers. Because we're going to get a change here from Jonah. 1 through 6 is about Jonah praying through his trouble. Now we go 7 through 10. Jonah's going to pray humbly to the Lord and Savior. And we're no longer, like I said, recapping the distressful moments in Jonah's life. But now we're moving into the current state of where Jonah is. And remember, he's sitting inside the belly of this fish. And Jonah has time here to really meditate on what has happened to him and what God has done for him and what everything he's gone through. Jonah realizes the folly of his ways and the mistake of paying the fare. He knows that he was wrong. And in verse 8, Jonah says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah realizes that he was guilty of forsaking the love of the Lord because he was trusting in his own vain idols. But what idol did Jonah have? I would say it was himself. I think Jonah thought that he knew better. I think Jonah put himself above God a little bit. Jonah thought that he could escape and flee the presence of the Lord on his own. Jonah thought that he knew better and that somehow he would get out of the commission of the Lord. But Jonah became his own idol and Jonah forsook the steadfast love of the Lord. Look, we too will forsake the steadfast love of the Lord if we just trust and and, and just worship our vain idols. We all have idols in our lives. There's something in our lives that we, we put a little bit ahead of Jesus. But if we don't fix that and if we don't get that turned around, we are going to forsake the steadfast love of the Lord. How can the Lord bless us if we are, 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 are choosing this idol? Money, drugs, sex, alcohol, us, whatever. God has to be number one. So idols can never deliver the way the Lord can deliver. We must trust in the true God and pray that the Lord will deliver us through the harshest storms. We must have faith that we too will see the holy temple in this life or the next life. We must take the stance that we as a believer will have the voice of thanksgiving and sacrifice to the Lord and pay what we vow. And that's our hearts. Our hearts. That's all that the Lord wants from us. That's all that He asks from us is our hearts to be obedient and to love and to trust Him with our full heart. That's it. That's all He's ever wanted from His people. 1 Samuel 16.7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 1 Chronicles 28.9, David tells Solomon to serve God with his whole heart and that the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. And in Luke 10.27, Jesus tells us to love him with all our hearts. See, the heart of the matter in this situation is the heart. That's it. It's the heart. 
It's your heart. It's my heart. It's all our hearts. And that's exactly what changes for Jonah in verse 9. Verse 9, it says that Jonah prays, but with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we see this in 117. Jonah can sit there and say, yes, salvation belongs to the Lord. But it's true because the Lord saved Jonah. The Lord appointed this great fish to come and swallow Jonah up. And the fish was salvation for Jonah. It wasn't a tomb. It was salvation. So Jonah can truly sit there and cry out, salvation is from the Lord. Yes, because you experienced it, Jonah. He saved you. He didn't have to save you. He didn't have to, but he did. So 117 is a great example of how God was salvation for Jonah. And right here at the end, when Jonah exclaims, salvation belongs to the Lord, we can see that it's true. We can see it. Jonah realizes this. Now this is a big turnaround for Jonah's heart. Remember, Jonah was disobedient. Jonah was, uh, uh, just didn't want to do anything that he was told to do. He was rebellious. But Jonah's heart changes here. And this is a humbled prayer here. This is a humbled prayer. This is no longer a troubled prayer. This is a humbled prayer from Jonah. And Jonah submits and he humbles himself. He surrenders his pride. Can we do that? Can we surrender our pride a little bit and humble ourselves? He surrenders his rebellious ways. Rebellious ways, thinking that he knows better. Can we do that too? Can we take our own will out of the equation and just say, Lord, you lead. It's your will. It's not my will. Even if I'm not agreeing right now, if I don't understand, Father, you lead. I will not be rebellious. I'll be obedient. And Jonah also admits that sovereignty is of the Lord because salvation is from the Lord. And that's the whole idea of, the, of this book of Jonah. Salvation is from the Lord. It's the whole book of Jonah. In fact, if you take the Bible, your Bible, hold it up in the air, it's the whole purpose of that book. It's the whole purpose of the Bible is that salvation is of the Lord. The Bible is nothing about God's patient mercy and His willingness to save His people. That's it. That's the message. And that's the message that Jonah finally got right there. And it's the message that we should be reading every single day. Salvation is from the Lord. There's tons of examples in there where God is just reaching out. Let's reach back to Him. So when God sees that Jonah's heart has changed, He speaks to the fish for the second time. And the fish vomits Jonah up onto the dry land. Now this again is God's mercy in action for Jonah. It was mercy to have Jonah swallowed. And it's mercy to have Jonah vomited out. It's gross, but it's mercy. But see, the great thing is, is that Jonah can now testify to the Lord's ability to save. He can testify. He can speak firsthand about how powerful God is. Why? Because he saw it. He saw God throw the tempest out there. He can tell you firsthand how powerful God is. Jonah can tell you about how merciful God is. Why? Because God saved Jonah. 
God allowed Jonah to, to be vomited out onto dry land. He can speak about that. He can speak about how God saves and how God redeems. Because God redeemed and saved Jonah. He is a walking model. He is the perfect prophet right now. But as we move on later, we'll see if his heart truly is there. But for right now, Jonah is the perfect walking model to walk into Nineveh and preach repentance. I think this is amazing. It's amazing stuff how God works. And it was Jonah's heart that needed to be changed before the Lord could work in a righteous manner for Jonah. Jonah had to suffer through a lot of terrifying experiences before he denied himself and prayed to the Lord. Are we going to be like Jonah? Or will we be people that pray? Are we going to be people that look to the Lord for his strength? Not just in good times or bad times, but we've got to pray to him all the time. You know, sometimes it's really hard to pray in the good times. It really is. Sometimes it's really hard. Everything's good, right? Everything's good. Everything's working out for me. My bills are paid. My family's good. We got food. Family's doing great. My job's great. It's all good. I don't need to pray. I don't need anybody. But we do need to pray. In fact, that's when we praise, right? We praise Him at those times because things are good. But don't fall into the trap of everything's good, so I'm just going to, you know, carry about my day and everything's fine. No. Take time to praise him for when the good happens. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Rejoice always to pray without ceasing, but give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So rejoice always, brothers and sisters. In the good times, rejoice. In the bad times, rejoice. Always. Be consistent in prayer. Don't wait for distressing moments to happen, but instead be constant in prayer. See, we all have been in predicaments that have overwhelmed us and that can make us feel like we're drowning in circumstances. We've all had hard times that come and stretch us. They just stretch us. So I'm going to show you another picture. This is a picture of uh, my old work. And as you can sit there and see, we are all gathered together in prayer. Much like the picture that we saw um, with the Buffalo Bills team. We are gathered together in prayer because we are distressed. We were in trouble. See what had happened. This is about a year and maybe a half ago. The owner of my business had suddenly died unexpectedly. He was my friend. And he died. Um, and he, he did a good job running this business. He, he made sure that everything was running smoothly. He made sure that everyone was doing their job. If you weren't doing your job, you stood at attention quick because here comes, here he comes. You know, there was no fooling around. Here he comes. He raised many awesome athletes, high-level athletes, so many athletes, so many world champions. He, he did it. 
he would walk into the gym and, and he would have little like uh, smarties and he would say, hey, take a power pill, have a smartie. And the kids would love it when he came in. He was my friend. And when he died, we didn't know what to do. There was just a hole in our hearts. What was going to happen? What, what would we do now? Would, would we have a job still? Is the gym still going to run? What is going to happen to us? So in our time of distress, I gathered everyone together. I took the girls' team, the trampoline team, the tumbling team, and we came together and we prayed again in our distress. And while it's a powerful picture, I hate the fact that this is the only time we've ever prayed together like this. That this was the only time that we prayed was that it, this distressful moment. It took this. It took this death to bring us together like this to pray. I wish we would have done more and prayed more. So are we willing to be submissive to him? Are we willing to let him lead us before the trouble comes? Remember, the natural way to deal with problems when trouble comes is to get angry. Sometimes when problems hit us, we get angry. Sometimes we get disgruntled. Sometimes we, we dive into self-pity. But that's not what we're supposed to do. James says that we must pray through our hardships, that we must pray when we're in trouble. And we must pray always, not just in the hard times, but in the good times, in the times when things are going well, pray with a heart of worship. Pray with a heart of thanksgiving. Pray with a heart of obedience. This is a type of prayer that will help us steer away from the dark waters. But what will you choose? It's a new year. How did your prayer life go last year? Did you measure up? Did I measure up? We have a chance and an opportunity to do something different this year. We can be more persistent. We can be more consistent. And we can have more affectionate pouring out of our souls to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If there's room in your heart to develop more of a prayer life, I say go do it. We need to repent of our sins. Make the choice. Be more mindful of prayer. Let us not just be a people that pray only in times of hardships, only in times of trouble, only in times of distress. Let's not do that. Let's not be like Jonah. Let's not be like the, the Buffalo Bill team or, or me and my team. Like I said, that's the only time we prayed. I should have gotten us together more. And I should have put us on our knees more. It's a lesson that I'll learn. I'm going to get more of my new athletes. I got a new job, by the way. And I'm going to see how many more kids I can get down on their knee more likely, more often. But we should pray also for our enemies. Not just for our problems, but for our enemies. I talked to us about prayer. I'm just going to ask you right now, think of somebody. We all have someone. Think of someone in your life right now that you just can't stand. Someone that's hurt you. Someone that is just, just a snake in your life. I, I've got one person already in my mind. Pray for them. Jesus Christ tells us, pray for your enemy. It's not all about us. Pray for your enemies as well. 
We need to engage in a spiritual battle. Guys, we can't engage in a spiritual battle if we don't pray. Like I said, we are Christians. We are soldiers. Pick up our weapon and pray. Now, just to let you guys know, we have a prayer meeting every Sunday morning here at Rock Valley Bible Church. Every Sunday, we come together and there's a prayer meeting. It's from 9 to about 9.30. I would encourage us to get down there. And I want you to look at this picture. Look at these. Look at them. You've got all of them down in prayer. You've got all those children down in prayer. How amazing would it be if we all were down there? How amazing if every single chair was lined up and we had 20 to 25 people, maybe 30 people. Hey, let's get nuts, 45 people. Let's get crazy. How amazing would it be if we filled the downstairs with our hearts and we prayed? I mean, I, I, I sit there and said, like, yeah, you only prayed, you know, only in times of distress and, and this and that. But also, this is a very powerful picture here. This is powerful. You could look at this picture, not know the story, and still look at it and be invoked of an emotion here. What kind of emotions could be evoked if we were all down there praying for one another? You know, you may not be down there, but we pray for you. We pray for your families. We pray for your hardships. We care about you. We love you. Come down there with us. Pray with us. Before something bad happens, it shouldn't, ha- it shouldn't take something like a heart attack to happen before someone and all of everyone gets down on the ground. It shouldn't take someone dying in, in, our, in our church before we get down like this. It shouldn't have to come to that. We should come because we want to draw near to our Father. We should come because we want to praise Him and worship Him. And yes, maybe we do want to just sit there and invent and just say, Father, please help me in this situation. Yes, but we are friends. We have friends that hurt. We have them. Pray for them too. Make your choice. You can be intimate with your Father. Or you can make excuses why you can't be here. But the choice is yours. I'm going to finish with Psalms 145.18. Psalms 145.18 says that the Lord is near all who call on Him to all who call on Him in truth. So again, I invite you, this year, next week, come. Call with us to Him. Come be near Him with us. See, the Lord makes us His mission. Let's make it our mission to pray more before the trouble hits. Let's make the choice to be faithful and constant in prayer. Let's praise the Lord for all that He has done. And let's have more of a heart of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, humbly come before You, just sinners, Lord, constantly in need of Your direction. Lord, forgive us for where we Take on our own strength, Father. Forgive us for when we think that we are smarter and that we can do things in a more clever way. Father, we don't have the perspective that you have. 
Like I said, you're the great MD-500, the helicopter in the sky that sees everything. We can only see 10 feet in front, but you can see the horizon. Father, I pray that you would prick our hearts and that this message would prick the hearts of everyone sitting here, that we would want to and we would desire to be more creatures of habit and prayer, that we would develop a heart of prayer, Father, not only in the troubling times, Lord, but also in the good times. Help us to find moments where we can encounter another person that may be in distress, Father, and pray with them. Help us to find another soul, Father, that are going through a good time and say, you know what, let's praise him. Let us have eyes to see somebody. And if we have an opportunity to to approach them and pray, let us be bold in that fact, Father. Help us to develop this heart of prayer, Lord as we cannot enter the spiritual battle unless we pray, Father. Our strength is in you, Lord, not in ourselves. And I pray this morning that we would remember this message and that it would prick us. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. I pray that each and one of us would have a good day today, Father, and a great week. Thank you for this moment, Father. We love you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.